Hello, mummers, and welcome back to the Pregnancy with Physio Laura podcast. Today, we are talking all about changing your perception of baby sleep. I know you're going to love this one. It debunks so many myths out there. So enjoy. Hey, mama, I'm sending you wonderful pregnancy vibes. It's time for you to guide you through. Let's take some time for you. Hello, mummers, and welcome back to the Pregnancy with Physio Laura podcast. New episodes, new series, all starts today. So, this is the Well Rested Mama series. Now, who doesn't want to feel well rested? Hey, so this series is for anyone who is pregnant or postpartum. So, if you're preparing for newborn sleep, patterns, what is normal, what is not normal, or if you are in the thick of it right now, this is the series for you. So I am joined by the wonderful Sarah from Blossom and Snooze. So Sarah is a baby sleep and well-being coach and a tour guide for normal infant sleep and responsive parenting without the self-sacrifice. So she is a breastfeeding, bed-sharing toddler mama from South Australia, and she has an attachment-focused approach and supports families across the world. So if you do want to get in touch with Sarah, which I'm sure you will after listening to this amazing podcast series, you can find her on Instagram at Blossom and Snooze. Now, this is a four-part podcast series for the Well-Rested Mama series, and today we are going to be talking all about changing the perception of baby sleep, because really at the end of the day, the problem lies with our expectations of baby sleep. So today's episode is all about understanding what normal biological sleep is and what are the normal ranges for things like sleeping through the night or having attachments to go to sleep and habits to go to sleep, feeding to sleep, all these sorts of things. Are they normal? Are they not normal? Are we creating a rod for our own back? All of the things that I'm sure we question, particularly I know myself as a first time mum, I questioned all of these things. Am I doing something? something wrong? Why is my baby broken? We also talk about why we should remove shoulds from our vocabulary, which I 100% agree with, and why considering each child's unique temperament and personality is so, so very important. So I do share a story of the differences between my first two children and how I had to alter and modify my approach to sleep and what I expected from sleep. And so I share a little bit about my journey with sleep, quote unquote, training. Um, And I think you're really going to get a lot out of this episode. Now, just also to note, Sarah is a legend and she did have her toddler inside with her while she was recording this. So you may occasionally hear a little toddler peep in and out. This is us keeping it real. Mum's in business trying to do the juggle as best we can. So you may just hear the occasional toddler interruption, which is completely fine. But I just want to let you know about that. And Sarah has also kindly given all Pregnancy Posse members a bonus video. This is an in-depth, deep dive video. It goes for 25 minutes. It's available for all members. And it was essentially deep dive on all the things we're going to talk about in this series, but specifically around safe sleep and bed sharing and all the information that Sarah wishes she knew when she was pregnant the first time so that she felt confident to implement these strategies after birth. So it's a real deep dive on all of the things we're going to chat about in this podcast. So it just takes you to the next level if you're feeling like you want extra support. So if you're a pregnancy posse member, you can go check that out. 
out. If you're not a Pregnancy Posse member and you want to watch this whole series all at once and access the bonus video, just go to thepregnancyposse.com. You can trial the program for seven days. I know you're going to love it. We've got weekly workouts. We've got an amazing resources library to help you prepare for labor, manage any sort of pelvic pain or back pain. You have me on hand. I always say to women because I get so many questions in my inboxes about how to help people. But if you truly want help from me, the best place to access me and my answers and all the things is inside the pregnancy posse. So if that feels right for you and you want to go check that out, thepregnancyposse.com is where I live, is where this podcast lives and is where all the bonus material lives as well. So I know you're going to love this series. We do have three more episodes coming up as well, which are really going to cover some great topics. One of them will be co-sleeping because that was highly requested. We're also going to go through some top five tips for baby sleep and looking after mum so that you can look after babe, which I think is such an important part of this whole piece. It's not just about how can we improve your baby sleep, it's about how can we look after the mother as well. So super, super important. So I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to let you get straight into this episode. Enjoy, ladies. Hello, Sarah, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. This topic is going to be so important for so many women out there, particularly pregnant mamas, to just get ahead of understanding baby sleep before you even have a baby. So thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Laura. I'm so excited to be here and I love talking about all of this stuff. And yeah, ideally, if mums can get their heads around it a little bit, even before their baby is here, then that is awesome. Um, it's just going to really help, um, just help reduce the stress levels around sleep, because honestly, that's part of what plays into it is that we're just stressed about it because we don't really know. So I'm really excited to have this conversation today. I was just talking to my husband this morning. I've got three kids now. And I was just saying to him, my perception of sleep for my third baby is drastically, and I wasn't even stressed to be honest with my first, but just drastically different from my first because I have confidence now. And I think I've had two children that I don't believe I've ruined. <laughs> so <laughs> I have this confidence now with the third that like, they're going to be okay. And, you know, I've, I've worked through all the myths about sleep and the cultural and societal expectations I've worked through all of that to get to this point. And so I always joke in my podcast that like everyone should have a second or third baby because it really helps your parenting confidence. Yeah. <laughs> like it would be so great to get this information out there to the first time mamas because it means you might not have to have the second or third kid to work through all of this. You will get the information straight up and then not have to worry about it. So let's start with sleep. It's a hot topic. It's a really, it's a real pain point, I think, for a lot of parents. Let's talk about like the general, you know, Western cultural societal expectations around sleep and maybe why they don't serve us as mothers. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and in terms of what we're talking about today and much of what I call out in the work that I do um, or challenge the narrative of is the sleep training culture of our society. And I just want to make a note that um, what I'm doing here is in relation to the cultural constructs. And the social systems, I suppose, that hold these up, not individual people. I always want to make that really clear. Um, so, you know, I hold no judgment for parents, no matter what decision they make, whether it's sleep training or, or not, um, or anything in between. Because like you said, it's such a hot topic. There's so many different options. Um, and ultimately, like as parents, we just want the best for our little ones. And we're making the best decision that we can in this moment with the information that we've got 
at our hands with the support systems that we have around us. Um, And it's all about informed decision-making, in my opinion, and I think that's important to see all the different options out there, Um, which is why I love what I do, because I can kind of provide that other side where we've got all of the, the mainstream sleep stuff. Yeah, so my approach is more about being responsive based on what's biologically normal. Um, And then ultimately, the parent gets to make the decision as to what feels right for them and what works for their baby because every baby is different and you don't really know what it's going to look like until they're here with you. <laughs> yes. And I, and that's exactly why I wanted you on the podcast because yes, sleep, a baby sleep is a super spicy topic and there, you know, there's like a, a whole spectrum of ways to do it, I guess. But the ethos of this whole podcast and how I go about life and delivering content is also exactly mirrored to what you say. So you do you, you hear some information take what you want from it, what feels right for you. But we just want to educate on a whole range of different topics so that you understand different sides of the coin and you can take what feels really good for you. And this is not like a one size fits all approach. This is here's some information and we think it would be really helpful for you, particularly given that, you know, um, I would probably say we're a little bit backwards with understanding baby sleep in Western society. Um, So I really love that. There's no shame. There's no judgment. It's information. So yeah, I love your ethos around that. So where are we going wrong though with when it comes to baby sleep? Like what is it that we, we're not understanding? Maybe like what perceptions of baby sleep are incorrect or a bit outdated in our current society? Yeah, so I think the main expectations that we have in our minds from social norms and, you know, the pressures that we get are around things like self-settling or self-soothing, uh, sleeping through the night from a young age, you know, falling in, in, asleep independently and then sleeping independently. Um, and often the first impressions that we get of baby sleep are what we see on the TV or in movies or through the media and even just images that are used in marketing, for example, for baby products. For me, I had absolutely zero experience with babies before I had one. Um, and I didn't know what was normal. And I think that's a really common experience. I guess the way that I, we see it play out in social narratives that perpetuate these expectations can just be simple conversations um, or questions that we're asked because this stuff is so deeply ingrained in people. So things like, is he a good baby, um, is often a way of someone asking, does he sleep well and does he not cry too much? Um, So that that tells us something within within our brains. It's sort of, oh, someone's thinking about me in this light and what that might reflect on me as a mother. Um, And then we have the confusion that comes from the broader structures and figures of authority when we get, you know, messages around um, the shoulds, what I term the shoulds of you should do this or you shouldn't do that. And it's so confusing. There's so much noise out there. Um, And a lot of it is based on opinion rather than an evidence-based or information-based um, approach and obviously everything plays its part you know and experiences are important but it's also important to know what is actually normal and that's not sort of what we're taught and I think that's why it's important to have differing conversations with different people and knowing that norm when it comes to children and especially sleep is such a huge range so a baby one baby might sleep through the night at three or four months 
and another child might not sleep through the night until they're three or four. They're both completely normal and everything in between is normal, but we kind of have these pedestals that we're taught, you know, that sleeping through the night is like this big tick as a parent that when your child does that, you get celebrated. Mm. Um, And it's one of those really big shoulds. You know, you should, you know, they should sleep through the night. You should teach them how to self-settle so that they can do that. Um, And it's just not having that understanding that, it's normal for babies to wake, even toddlers to wake. Um, and I guess, you know, just understanding that can make a big difference and expecting it is um, can make a difference. If I had known these things about what is normal when it comes to baby sleep and feeding and what it might look like day to day, I would have definitely prepared for my postpartum very differently. I would have gone into it with a different mindset. I would have been much less stressed. I wouldn't have lost more sleep that I needed to Um, and I think we'll get into that a little bit later in terms of talking about maternal sleep and self-care and things like that but you know if you can get your head around this a little bit um, in the early days or before your baby's here it can just make such a big difference to your experience overall. Yes, 100%. And I'm just reflecting on my first postpartum experience. And I said to you before we recorded that I was pretty chilled and not really that stressed, but my expectations of sleep were very different to now with my third baby. And it was that big milestone that you chat about in the mother's group about whose babies were sleeping through the night. And you know how you always get that you always get that five week old that does that big sleep through the night. And then that sets that precedent from the early days where you're like, Oh, hang on. They're sleeping through the night. So why is my baby still feeding three times a night? And that comparisonitis then starts to seep in, even if you are the most confident mother, which I would say is not particularly common for first time, you know, like there's a lot to learn and and then you've got all the generations saying, you know, oh, well, oh, are you still feeding, you know, when your baby's four months or whatever? And it starts to seep in all those little questions and comments and you start to yeah. go, well, actually, like, am I doing something wrong? Should I be expecting more of my baby? Are they broken or am I, am I doing something wrong? And I think it's really hard to get out of that, but it's so important for women. And that's why I think this conversation is so important. And essentially what you're saying Um, And I know we'll we'll discuss it a bit more about what is normal, but it's not normal. And as in, it's not expected that your baby should sleep through the night, potentially for the first three years of life. And we're going to talk about sleep attachments and, you know, like um, ways of getting your child to sleep, because I know apart from sleeping through the night, another real pain point for a lot of people is how they get their babies to sleep. So could you maybe talk about what to expect and what could be considered on the normal spectrum for how to get your baby to sleep? Like is rocking to sleep, quote unquote, bad? Is feeding to sleep, you know, creating a rod for your own back? So could you maybe talk through those attachments? Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I think even before we get into that, maybe just explaining a little bit more about sleeping through the night in terms of like the expectations because I like to kind of find parallels between us as adults, us as parents, um, so that we can understand the perspective of our little one. And so like we all wake throughout the night. We get to the end of a sleep cycle 
and we roll over, adjust the blanket, maybe have a sip of water, get up to go to the toilet, and then we'll go back to sleep. And often if we're just rolling over and adjusting, um, we don't fully wake up. We then slip back into the next sleep cycle. And so our babies are doing that, but they don't yet know sort of how to soothe themselves back to sleep. But it's not something that you can teach them. It's not something that you need to let them figure out on their own. They don't need to learn how to self-soothe. Um, self-regulation is something that comes over time from lots of responsive parenting and you know being responded to. And babies, they need our support. They need our help to be able to get back to sleep when they do wake. And so, you know, just saying that that's normal, therefore, we do need to have ways of supporting them. So when we know that it's normal for babies to wake throughout the night and it's normal for them to need our support with that, then we've got to find ways to support them. And one thing that I always say to parents that I work with and on my social media, there's no such thing as a bad habit. And that's a big social cultural thing that we get told like you said the rod for your own back it's a big narrative in our social circles um, across social media you know all those sorts of things within that sleep culture um, everything's always moving towards um, us being able to step back as parents and that does happen with time of course but I think often we're putting the expectation a little too early for what our babies are actually capable of the most important thing that I always say when it comes to um, sleep attachments, sleep associations, the way that we support our babies with their sleep is that it's not a problem unless it's a problem for you. Mm. So if it's working for you, you don't have to change a thing. I'll always recommend not to make a change now in anticipation of something potentially becoming a problem in the future because it's just gonna cause you stress. If it's working, keep doing it. So feeding to sleep, if we just take that as an example, if, for example, if you're breastfeeding to sleep, that's the biological norm. There's sleepy hormones, there's you know, all the good stuff. So don't fight it. If it's working for you, don't fight it. Mm. Um, if your baby really responds to motion, which most do, it's usually the second preference for most babies, is to have that motion be rocked be bounced on a yoga ball, be in a baby carrier, whatever. If that works, you do that. Do a mix of everything. It doesn't have to look the same for every sleep. It doesn't have to look the same every bedtime. I know that there's a lot of um, within our own lives and our culture, there's a lot of structure and we're so used to looking for structure and it's kind of drilled into us, you know, be consistent, have a schedule. It has to, you know, look the same every time. And yes, it can be helpful to have certain rituals or routines that can help cue a baby into sleep. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But in general, it doesn't have to look exactly the same because I find most parents just get a lot more stress out of that. If they can be a bit more fluid and flexible about it, it's much less stressful. And also knowing that sleep associations and the way that you support your baby with their sleep is going to change. It will evolve as they grow, as they get bigger. A newborn and supporting a newborn with sleep looks very different to a toddler. And if it does get to the point where something's just not working for you anymore, if you're getting to nap time or bedtime and you are just feeling really uptight or you're getting frustrated or things are 
just not feeling good, that's where we can make a change. And we can do that really respectfully, really gently, and still responding to our little one's needs. And the way that you make the change is going to depend on the age of the baby and their temperament. This is a big piece that's missing in uh, the sleep conversation I find a lot in the mainstream narrative is that we don't consider the individual child's temperament Mm -hmm. and how they may or may not respond to things. So what works for one baby will not work for another baby. And that's okay. And I'm going to interject just with a quick personal story because I've lived that. My first son, super chilled, just like so easygoing. Um, We got to 12 months, boob to sleep. And I got to the point where I was like, it's not working for me anymore. We need to make a change. And so we weaned him off that association and did cuddles with my husband instead. And it was like three days of like, I found it really hard because he was obviously upset, but we were there for him. And, you know, it's normal for him to be upset when something changes. I I got that. Uh, But my husband, you know, took over and helped soothe him. And after three days, no more boob overnight. He was sleeping through the night and I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. So easy. I had the most spirited energetic of middle daughters And we got to about nine months and I remember starting to feel like really touched out and really tired and she was doing a lot of wakes um, for the breast during the night. And so I thought, great, we'll do what we did with my son. Uh, We'll get my husband to cuddle her and done. Three days time, we're all going to be getting more sleep. Holy moly, that was probably the worst stretch of parenting I've ever had. It was really hard. There was a lot of crying. I actually, in hindsight, think it was the wrong move because looking at her personality now, she is very touchy, always wants to be touching someone. And I think removing an element of that for her overnight was just never going to work for her. And there was a lot of pain on our behalf, on her behalf. And I just look back and I I guess I don't have many regrets, but I do kind of regret trying to make her more independent at that age. And I wish instead I'd just tried to find other ways to fill my cup up because I was the one who was really suffering. She was quite happy to be on the boob 16 times a night. She wasn't (laughs) suffering, but her temperament is so different to my son. And she did not want a bar of being separated from me at nighttime. So in hindsight, I wish that I had probably trusted that she was a different child and I just needed to find other ways to fill my cup up. So I didn't feel so exhausted because it just, it didn't work. It actually didn't work. Like no matter how much we tried, it just made my marriage really like sticky because we'd get so tired and angry at each other and it's your turn. And, you know, like it was just a really tough period of time. And we tried because we thought with my son, well, it works so well, it's going to be great. And it just, it didn't work. And, you know, in the end, we ended up just going back to co-sleeping and I can't remember if I kept feeding her, but regardless, she she came back close. We were trying to put her in her cot and whatnot. So you live and you learn. And it's like temperament, those two worlds apart, like completely worlds apart. So it is, this is for all those moms who maybe, you know, tried something with their first and it worked and, you know, they think the same pattern's going to happen. If you have a different child, I agree with you. It's just a completely different set of, you know, rules for the game. And you just have to trust them and go with what feels right for you and for them and not put some sort of formula on it because it's not going to always be the same. So I just wanted to add that in because I've definitely lived that experience. So 
Yeah, definitely. And I resonate with that with your second. My son is very similar, very spirited, uh, very much a sensory seeker. You know, two and a half, we're still feeding to sleep, still co-sleeping because for his temperament, that's what he needs. He's not ready for the separation. Uh, He's not ready to let go of breastfeeding. But it has meant, and this is part of the responsive parenting being not just for the baby, but for mom as well. I was super touched out and I was getting like sleep rage overnight. And I was like, oh, thinking I need to night wean him. But I knew that it's not the right move for him. And so we put in boundaries for feeding during the day. And that's made a world of difference. Mm. So it's often just thinking, okay, well, this is the problem. But if we take a zoom out, we look at the individual needs of each family member, mom, baby, you know, dad, other siblings. How can we zoom out? pick apart those pieces, look at the puzzle and make adjustments to the overall, you know, like the 24 hours, not just nighttime, the whole um, environment, the energy of everyone and everything. And then how can we make adjustments so that it's, you know, balancing back down and working out and it's okay to make changes. It's okay to try something and it doesn't work. Um, It's okay if you have one sibling who is completely different to the other one and something that you've tried for one doesn't work for the other you're not doing anything wrong you're not broken your kids aren't broken it's just that everyone's different and I think that's a piece that's missing within I guess that sleep training culture that is more of the one size fits all you know follow this step-by-step process and they'll be sleeping through for within five to seven nights Um, that to me is like it might work for some babies probably the super easygoing babies who are going to be like yep Oh, whatever I'm, I'll roll with that but for ones like your second and my son that just would not work it would not work for them it wouldn't happen and I like that when you you mentioned the adult sleep before and how we wake up all the time like no two adults are alike with their sleep patterns either like I think about I put like let's talk about pre-kids because let's be honest like I don't really get to sleep how yeah. I want to sleep with children but <laughs> I would put my head on the pillow. I would be asleep in five minutes. I didn't need any special wind down routine. Like I could probably have a coffee and pretty much go to bed and I'd be fine. And then I would pretty much sleep solidly until my alarm went off for work in the morning. Like that was, that's just how I sleep. Doesn't matter how stressed I am, how many big life events are happening. I would always sleep like that. Like it just never would rock my sleep patterns. Whereas my husband just like chronic insomniac, like wakes up at 3am buzzing and all these ideas and things on his mind. And, you know, needs like, we always joke about his wind down routine, like needs blue blockers and like has to lie on a spiky yoga mat and has to do a specific meditation. And, you know, like there's 10 things he has to do just to be able to fall asleep. And if he strays from that, then it's all over Red Rover, you know, like it, it's so, he's so sensitive. And then he wakes a lot overnight. You know, like we are worlds apart with our sleep. So obviously that's that's normal. We know that. But I guess when it comes to babies, I guess sometimes we forget that and we do think of them as like, well, you're the same as you and you're all babies at nine months old. So therefore you should be doing X, Y, and Z. Where we're like, no, there's so much bio-individuality there. And I think it's really important to respect that and understand that. And I really liked what you said as well about, because I know a lot of women that are listening to this might be for thinking this or in the experience of it right now. But if you are doing something now and you decide that it's not working anymore, 
it's not like this huge unraveling process. Like kids are so adaptable, right? Like things can change relatively easily. It doesn't mean that it's like, I guess I know a lot of people who say feed to sleep think that, well, if I've been doing this for a year now, this is going to be so much harder to unravel. Could you speak to that maybe for those women who are concerned about how hard those changes might be or how long it might take, you know, to un- unlearn um, these habits? Yeah. And again, it's going to be dependent on the temperament of the child. But when I'm working with families to make shifts or change patterns in the way that they support their baby's sleep, the first piece that we work on is like before we start actually making the change is layering in other sleep associations. So for example, if you've only ever fed to sleep and there's sort of nothing else, what we would do just as an example is say you're feeding to sleep and then you might add in um, a bit of a massage and you're rubbing their back. You might sing a song, a bit of a rock. Um, if it's something that you're wanting to say, bring dad in, have dad be there while they're falling asleep. Bring in something that he can then do if that's something that he's going to take over. And so we're kind of layering in other associations or other ways that they're going to feel supported before we remove the one that we want to take away. And especially when it's something as big as, as feeding to sleep, because it is a big deal for a little one, mm. um, especially if they are more spirited and it's something that they need because it is so good at regulating their nervous system. And again, with a holistic approach and looking at the whole 24 hour period or your whole week or whatever, if we're removing something like feeding to sleep, the sucking motion, for example, that's very calming to the nervous system. So where else throughout the day can we add in that sucking motion for the nervous system? And it might be drinking a smoothie with a straw. So it's something completely unrelated to sleep, but you're adding that piece in, that regulation piece, before we're even getting to removing it at bedtime, for example. And same with, say, you're removing rocking to sleep or bouncing to sleep. If they're needing that sensory input, where in the other parts of the day can we add in that sensory input? So for my son, we didn't want to bounce him because he was getting heavier and heavier. Um, So we got him a swing out on our front porch and that provides him with the sensory, the calming input that he needs but it's not at bedtime. Yes, because I guess what you're saying there is when they go to sleep, they need to have a regulated nervous system and it's not necessarily what you're doing right then and there, but it's just like overall the accumulation of the day. If they're feeling wound up and tight and a bit stressed, they're going to need more of that at nighttime. Whereas again, correct me if I'm wrong, but what you're saying is if they can have that regulation during the day, then they'll be a little bit like more soothed at nighttime already. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly right. And it's really tuning into each baby's needs because some babies are sensory seekers, some babies are sensory avoiders. Mm. And so, you know, some will respond more to, for example, the dark room. They need that to be able to shut off, whereas others, it doesn't bother them. Mm. So, um, because that's something that I often get asked as well is do I need to have them napping and sleeping in a pitch black room? If they sleep when it's light, it doesn't matter. If you're finding that they're waking a lot or that they're not going to sleep because it's light, give it a go. Make it darker. And if that 
helps then you know because that's another sort of sleep association whether it's white noise or um, things like that um, but yeah exactly we're just looking at the big picture that's mm. what I like to do I look at the big picture I look at all of the pieces of the puzzle then we put them together we see if they mesh um, and it's going to change and it's okay for it to change. Mm. And it's okay if, if you are making a change and, you know, you find that your baby's getting quite upset about it and it doesn't feel right. If it feels like it's something that you're not able to stay regulated yourself to support them through, take a step back, go back to what works, rejig things. You know, it's okay for things to be a bit fluid. And if you are going through the process of making a change and, for example, this happens all the time, they maybe get sick and you're worried about undoing the work that you've done. I always say that the priority is the connection. The priority is their needs, meeting them where they're at right now. Yes. And it's not like you're going to undo all of that work because our kids are so much smarter than we give them credit for as well. I agree. I 100% agree with that. I think they're so in tune with what they need. And it's often that we're not willing to see it because again, we might have this preconceived idea of how it should be or, you know, what they should be doing. Um, so I agree. Like when I really tuned into my kids, I'm like, whoa, you, so for example, I just, this comes to mind. My daughter the other night, like did not want a bar of her dinner. And I could find myself in the back of my mind being like, oh, but you have to eat because you're going to be hungry. But she just didn't want it. And I was like, you know what, honey, if you really don't want to eat, that's fine. I did offer her some fruit just in case. It was like she didn't like the meal and she didn't want it. Anyway, she did a massive vomit that night. And I was like, oh, my God, you knew that your tummy felt funny and you couldn't express that to me because you're so young. And I was just like, I'm so glad I listened to you because imagine if I'd like lost that connection with her by forcing her to do something that she didn't want to do when she really felt so awful and sick. And it was just such an important reminder to me to be like, they know, they might not be able to tell us like we want them, but they are so like tuned in. And just before we move on, I also wanted to mention that when you were saying how different kids like different routines and dark versus lighter my two children, my older two, they like, I've got my son who his wind down routine at nighttime loves to like read a book, tell pretend stories, like really calm, soothing. And so that's what I was used to, you know, like that whole dim the lights, everything's quiet. My daughter, what she actually needs to go to sleep is the complete opposite of what most people will tell you is a good wind down routine. She needs to wrestle. She needs to do somersaults. She needs to run running races around the house. Like all sorts of things that most people would look at and go, oh my God, you're hyping her up before she goes to bed. Like that's not good. And I had to work through again being like, oh, am I actually, am I hyping her up? Is this bad? But that's what she needs. She needs to like release all this last minute energy and you look at her and you're like, oh, far out. She's doing gymnastics and she's what? She's going to fall asleep, but she will fall asleep in five seconds flat if I let her do all of those energetic motions and get all of that you know, out of her system. So completely different kids. And there's, it was really nice for me. I remember someone telling me that like roughhousing and, you know, like that, that sort of energetic play can be really good for kids before bed. And it gave me that permission piece to be like, oh, okay, <laughs> I'm not doing anything bad. It's just that they need totally different things before bed. So that's just a, another little piece that Kids are different. They're going to need different things. Some kids will really need that calming wind down, whereas other kids may not. They might need the total opposite. So whatever your child is trying to tell you they need, 
listen because they they know they 100% know hello mamas I really 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 hope that you love that episode I think there is so many things that we need to rewrite the story on when it comes to motherhood in general and probably pregnancy and birth as well but baby sleep I think there's so many miss what's the word inappropriate and um outdated beliefs when it comes to sleep and maybe they've been passed down from family members friends societal pressures Instagram whatever it is but I think that there's a lot of misconceptions and incorrect beliefs when it comes to what is actually normal for babies so I think this should be really reassuring to a lot of women listening to this who maybe like myself used to think oh what's wrong with my child if they're not sleeping through the night or what's wrong with my child if they need me more than other kids seem to need their parents during the night. Are they broken? Am I doing something wrong? The answer is no. There's just such a wide variety of normal. And I think the biggest takeaway for for me anyway from all of this discussion is don't compare yourself to everyone else and make sure that you look after you so that you can be the best version most fulfilled version of a mother for your babe because the self-sacrifice is not necessary and if you are trying to get your baby to sleep in a certain way at the sacrifice of yourself that's not ideal and it's not great and it's not going to help your family unit thrive so we will get back to this in a later episode about how to really help mum thrive because that's where it starts helping mum thrive to help baby thrive but I hope that today at least just helped you wrap your head around what is actually normal when it comes to baby sleep? And if you're pregnant listening to this podcast, I think this is such vital information to have before you have your baby so that your expectations are set realistically. Because I think often we get disappointed because our expectations don't match our reality. So I know myself, if I've always expected more from my children in terms of sleeping, I'm chronically disappointed. Whereas if I expect them to wake up in the night, expect them to have short cat naps, then I'm so not disappointed because I've matched my reality to my expectations. So I really hope you love this episode. If you did, please jump over to my socials at PhysioLaura and let me know what your biggest takeaway was. I so love hearing A, that you actually listen to the podcast. Uh, Sometimes it feels a bit surreal because I don't get that in-time, real-time feedback. So I really love knowing that A, you listen to it. And B, uh, that you enjoyed it and maybe what you want to hear more about. And if you want to check out Sarah, if you need more support and you want to get some more guidance, she has a wonderful Instagram page. Go and check her out at Blossom and Snooze. And remember, she has given all Pregnancy Posse members that epic bonus video, which is a deep dive on everything we talk about today. We talk about bed sharing. We talk about safe sleep environments and how you can implement what the guidelines say into your realistic mothering and parenting environment. So definitely go check that out, Pregnancy Posse members. And if you're not a member and you want to go check out this whole series rather than waiting for the next three episodes to be released, which are on co-sleeping, looking after mum and babe and top five tips for baby sleep, you can go find that inside the Pregnancy Posse along with the bonus video. And plus we have all our weekly workouts, our entire resources library, the weekly Q&As with me. There is so much epic community support in there. So please, if that feels good for you, go and check it out, thepregnancyposse.com and I will catch you inside the membership. But until then, mummers, we've got episode two coming up next week. That will be all about co-sleeping. I know so many of you want to hear about this because it is something that is still not really talked about much these days. So make sure you subscribe to the Pregnancy with Physio Laura podcast so that you don't miss 
release that episode dropping next week. But until then, I hope that wherever you are right now, you are getting ample sleep for this stage of life that you are in, whether you're insomniac, pregnant, newborn phase, you know, nine months sleep regression, whatever it is, I hope that you're resting well and looking after you and filling your cup too. So until then, mamas, have a wonderful day and I will talk to you soon.